Today we start a new series here. Before we do that, um, I'm aware that a lot of you are on holiday, uh, vacation, special time. Uh, Sometimes we forget that 23 of our 24 or 25 countries isn't having a holiday this weekend. But those in America are, and we hope that you be safe and that you stay well and that you avoid all the crazies out there. Um, I myself will probably celebrate Ungrateful Colonist Day, but um, others, you know, have their own way of, of handling it. And again, 23 of our nations won't get that line, so I'll move on, shall I? I would like for you to look at a video that's online uh, called Next Big Thing. If you go to our channel, our Safe Harbor Church at uh, YouTube, you'll see it up there in the special uh, line, the very top line. We are making a new push, and in our newsletter it details some of this as well. We really need you to check in, tell us where you are watching from, and then send us an email to info at oursafeharbor.com to uh, let us know if you would like to be connected to other watchers around you. And if you don't want to be, that's completely fine. We understand uh, privacy and people needing some, some protection and security. And we will do all of this very carefully. But watch the middle of July. Watch a series of posts and videos that are going to come in the middle of July where we start showing you the next big thing in action. All right? Um, we're going to do stories. I like telling stories. I think I've always been the Shenaki, the, the Irish storyteller in my family. Back uh, when you look at the Bible, there are a lot of stories in there that you wouldn't have put in if you were writing the Bible. I know this, even though I don't know you. Because there's so many stories in there that put us in a bad light, or our heroes in a bad light, or sometimes it even looks like God's in a bad light. And we, and we go, oh, we don't like this story. But God puts them in because they're our story. These people are just like us. Whenever you think of David, you think of Abraham, you think of Sarah, you think of Rachel or Ruth, we often think of heroes, but they're not heroes. They're deeply, deeply flawed, sinful people just like us. And so we start today. Back in the old days, when you'd listen to the radio in Scotland or England or, or Wales, uh, they called it the wireless. They would tell a story time every, every night. And the man would always say, are you seated comfortably? As if we could talk back. And then a pause, he'd say, then I'll begin. So if you're seated comfortably, I'd like to tell you a story. You see them all the time. Or maybe you don't. That's kind of the point. You see, girls go out in a group. uh, A clutch of, of women go out. And for some reason... Perhaps jealousy, competition, I'm not really sure. But the beautiful rarely hang out with each other for long. They usually will mix. Some don't get to dance very often. Some are pushed to the back. They are the less than pretty ones. We might even say, because our eyes are so clouded with culture, fads, movements, concepts, we might even call them unlovely. They watch the men as they eye the pretty ones. They know that coins have been flipped, bets made, debts called in, so that someone will have to lose and talk to them. They aren't aren't like the people on the magazines. They're not like the people on the telly. 
Watching TV actually can be very painful for them because they don't see people who look like them. Leah was one of those girls. We often lose her. In fact, it's rather a scandal how little we talk about Leah. We're, we're in a rush to tell Jacob's story. And that's a great story, mind. And we'll tell that story one day. Jacob was the younger who took the older place, uh, older son's place and position. And here, he's going to go after a younger daughter, but get an older one instead. And yes, irony, but let's not lose this lesson, the one about Leah. And the one about Leah and God. Leah even had a terrible name. You'll find that that's a common thread with the two women that we're going to talk about today. Both of them had horrible names. Leah, the word means weary, dull, and even cow. Think of naming a child that. We struggle to describe her. The word doesn't translate exactly. Most versions of your Bible will call her weak-eyed. And what that means, flatly, is that Leah was not pretty. Her eyes were dull, flat. In a society where women's eyes were the most noticeable thing about them, that was a terrible indictment. You see, even back then, women in this area would wrap. Some as a protection against the sun and against the sand. But they did not wrap up, except for the eyes and a little bit of the face sometimes, uh, because their men made them do it. They did it to avoid the predations and the stares of men. And this is their idea of protecting, all going out and nobody could pick out the pretty one to steal. But they could see her eyes and they weren't interested. The very name Leah means that she's not worth the second look. Even today, when so much skin is on display, eyes are a huge draw. It is how a person looks at you that makes a big difference. We read a lot into looks. In fact, we, we way overread looks. But it is important that the one we want to look at us looks at us and they look at us in the right way in those eyes. And here's the thing. We might be off on the name of Leah in one way. She might have been pretty enough but have been too intelligent and people saw wisdom and they were afraid of that woman. I have talked to several women in my life who were very pretty, even by the standards of the day, very attractive people, but they had a very difficult time attracting anyone because they were so smart they scared the men. Timid little creatures men are sometimes. They want to be the biggest, strongest, smartest, and when they looked at these women, they were... They knew they couldn't be, and that drove them off. Well, back to Leah. Jacob worked for Leah's father for seven years so that he could marry Rachel, Leah's younger sister. Leah didn't even figure into the bargain. This is nothing, nothing about Leah was in this. And by the way, let's give them their due. It seems that Rachel and Jacob actually did have true love for each other. In fact, they are the only couple in scripture that are said to have loved each other as a reason for their marriage. Only once. So let's not, you know, bash them too hard. But also, did you notice our eyes went off Leah again? It was a sign of serious intention and, and a, a common thing to work for a father for a set number of years 
so that you would uh, get a daughter in wedding. And what would happen is after the years were finished, you would get the daughter and all your wages at the same day. So this was a big day. So Laban is not an honest man. That's Leah's father. Laban's not honest. It seems to run in the family. Jacob wasn't honest either for the longest time. And he did not intend, Laban didn't, to let Jacob get Rachel, (coughs) excuse me, until he got Leah off his hands. You see, Laban did not love his own daughter Leah. He did not feel there was any value in her. You see, daughters were there really to marry off to get more land, more better family connections. And he looked at Leah and thought, nobody will take her off my hands. She's going to be a mouth to feed all my life. The male-dominated society went into gear because weddings were pretty much a male affair. There were a lot of feasts. You would invite men. Uh, There was no religious ceremony to declare you wed. There was just a tent over here. And sometime, perhaps in the wee hours of the morning, when he is well drunk, he is led into a tent. And then Leah is led in, not Rachel. She is completely veiled. There are no lights. We often see in movies things that happen at night. And I I always just shake my head. And Cammie's probably quite tired of it by now. But I'll say that's an exceptionally well-lit battlefield. That's an exceptionally well-lit dark basement with no window. It's a good thing that I can see things. Well, he couldn't see. He was uh, insensible at this stage. Then in the morning, he saw what had been done to him. And that's where we always go. But I want you to change your, your focus. What about her? Can you imagine what she felt like? When she'd been ordered, undoubtedly, you don't make a noise, you don't tell. This is the only way to get rid of you is to have a man who does not love you be fooled into having sex with you. We would call that rape, by the way. And um, then he stuck with you. And you don't have a say. To see his face fall in the morning, to see his anger, his disappointment, my heart breaks for Leah. When I read the story, I know Jacob was hurt, but I can, you know, he's a big boy. Things are, nice things are going to happen. But Leah, what about Leah? We've been told by some that, um, you know, Laban goes, hey, them's the breaks. You know, you got to have the older one before you have the younger one. And that uh, then Jacob worked for another seven years. So 14 years to get Rachel. That's no, no, read carefully. He did have to work another seven years. But he was married to Rachel one week later. Leah did not have him for herself. She did not have time to bond with him. She did not have time to win his affections. Nope. One week later, he gets the pretty girl. But Jacob stays and he works. And by the way, Leviticus 16 says it is absolutely forbidden to marry sisters. But it seemed that Laban wasn't really concerned about Levitical law. Unloved by her father or her husband. Poor Leah was loved by God. He saw her. He opened her womb. And she gave birth to many children because that was the sign of being blessed in those days. Uh, If you didn't have babies, you were cursed. If you had lots of babies, you were really blessed. And so who has the babies? Leah. Rachel will have babies 
but by someone else. She'll have to, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. God chose Leah first. Men and their blinded eyes, bullheadedness, and whatever else you want to throw in there. They could not see the beauty of Leah, but God did, and he chose her first. He didn't sit at the table to talk to her so he could be close to the pretty one. He sat to talk to her because he loved her. In the names of her children, we see that her loneliness continued. Reuben means see a son. It's like I'm, 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 I'm of worth. I produced a son. Second, Simeon means hear. The Lord heard her, but her husband did not. Levi, attached, hoping that three sons, now her husband will be attached to her. Judah is a cry of praise to the Lord. Kind of given up on winning over Jacob by this stage. And again, Rachel was not a bad person at all. Uh, she's mentioned as one of the heroes of the faith, along with Leah. That's in uh, Ruth 4.11, by the way, if you want to look it up. Rachel was not a bad person. It was just that Rachel was getting all of the attention, the love. And so God went to the one who wasn't. She had children too. Her first was named Dan, uh, which means basically God has judged that I'm all right. And the second, Naphtali, meaning a wrestler, which indicates we're told by people who know this sort of thing that she was having a stormy home life. And I would think it was with Leah, not with Jacob. This is an ugly story. It's an ugly story we would not have put it in a Bible. It's full of humiliations and terrors of polygamy and of men's eyes. But it also shows us that God has a special affection for the lowly and the despised. He looks at those we look over. And as long as these people look to God, he's going to look back at them. Leah found hope in her relationship with God, even when her relationship with others did not improve. In fact, you know, if you just want to wait, we don't know about everyday life, but in what is mentioned in Scripture, Leah shows more signs of piety than her pretty sister. And in Ruth 4.11, as I said, they are told the founders of the faith, the ones who built up our nation, were Leah and Rachel. No man chose her, but God did. While others did not look at her, he saw her. God, the greatest, strongest, wisest, and best, strode across the room, ignoring the pretty ones, and he asked Leah to dance. Then there's another woman, Hagar. Hagar is another woman who had zero say in what happened to her. Zero. She was a servant to Sarah, uh, as the scripture, Misha read. God just calls it what it was. She was a slave to Sarah. It, she was given to Abraham uh, by Pharaoh because Abraham had been a coward. And whenever Pharaoh had a look at Sarah and said, Well, that's a pretty woman. Is she married? Abraham thought if, I, if he knows she's married to me, he'll kill me to get her because he's Pharaoh. They have a reputation. So no, that's just my sister. He was willing to trade away his wife to save his own sorry skin. You see, is Abraham a hero? Yeah. Is he horrible? Yeah. 
People aren't 2D. People are complex. They have many layers. Man told me yesterday as he interviewed me for another podcast, he said he's always admired the way that whenever I was attacked, I was very gentle in reply. And I said, that's on the outside. <laughs> on the inside, I'm the Tasmanian devil with fireworks. It takes a while to filter. I want to be a better man inside. But I try to be a good guy outside first. Hagar. You know what the name means? Stranger, foreign woman, an emigre, a traveler. It means not a citizen, not one of ours. That might not even be her name. We might not have her name. That was just what Pharaoh called her. When he found out, wait, this is his wife and this guy serves a great God. He said, no, what, what are you doing? You, you, you endangered me. Here, take stuff. And some of the stuff he gave Abraham was a woman, a person. Hagar was not entirely like Leah, though. She had a little bit of spine and edge to her. Maybe that's what happens when you've been traded away, lost your name, and you've been a slave to here, there, and the other, and just a piece of property. But Sarah uh, had been told by God that she was going to have you know, many, many, many descendants. She laughed at that. And so eventually, when they did have a son, they named him Laughter, Itzhak, Isaac. But that's before now. She decided that God was taking too long to do what she thought God wanted to do. So she formed a committee. Let that be a lesson to you. For God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. Here, Sarah decides, I know God intends to raise up children through me via Hagar. This seems really weird to us, but that was considered norm back then. Uh, and the reason was they, they thought women are just incubators. It was all man's seed. And she just cooked it. And since Sarah wasn't cooking well, whenever any, anybody born of Hagar would have been a child of Abraham and Sarah would be the mother. It's complicated, but that's what they thought. Hagar quickly became pregnant. And it seems that Hagar got a little uppity. <laughs> and a little, I'm, you know, I'm preggers and you're not. And just really... Was, was, was not as kind as we would like her to be. But I don't know what we would have expected. Uh, what do you expect? Uh, it's, it's not like Jesus has been here yet. This was fighting every day just to survive. Sarah appealed to Abraham to get her to stop. And Abraham, characteristically, was a coward and said, no, that's not my problem. And so he cut his ties with Hagar and drove her out. Now she didn't have Abraham to protect her. She didn't have anybody to protect her. The son hasn't been born yet. He can't protect her. Sarah was mistreating her. Her life becomes intolerable. She's in the desert. She, uh, maybe she thought she could return to Egypt or maybe go back and find whatever people she had been originally. But there's no way she was going to survive. No way. There were no police forces, armies, United Nations, barriers, boundaries, constitutions, no rules. Any woman out there without protection is going to be taken, killed, or will die of exposure. But somebody was waiting for Hagar. There was only one spring where water could be found, and Hagar would have known where that was. They weren't stupid people. They knew where the water supplies were. And so she heads for that. And waiting for her is the angel of the Lord. He's waiting. When she comes, he says, where have you come from? And where are you going? 
Man, that sounds an awful lot like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Whenever God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Where's this going? Well, she's told to go back and to change the way she lived. She is to be a kinder person, more submissive person. And before anybody gets really upset about a woman being submissive, please be aware that in Scripture, men are also told to be submissive. We're all supposed to submit to each other in love, period. I don't think women are supposed to submit more than men. I don't think that's a, a burden God just threw at one sex. No, it's a Christian duty for us to submit to others and love and serve them. In other words, to repent and don't act like the world. But this is new. God loves Hagar. He sought her out. He waited for her. He found her. And she said, I have seen the God who sees me. Wow. She goes back. God said, you go back. I promise you something. Your descendants will be without number. And they are. Uh, Hagar is considered to be the mother of the Arabs all over the world. She is the source, the fountainhead for all the Arabic peoples. God even says, your son will be like a wild donkey. Now to a lot of us, that would not sound like a compliment. It was a big compliment back in the day. It meant strong and nobody's going to tame him. He's not going to be a slave. So she goes. He also warns her, your kids and Sarah's kids will always be in conflict. And so they are to this day. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, that angel of the Lord is called God in this passage. And I and many others believe that that is Jesus Christ making an appearance. Just like he would to the Samaritan woman who was thrown away. Waiting for her by the well. Going to talk to the woman that nobody else wants. He appears to Abraham in chapter 18. But I find it really interesting that God appears to Hagar well before he appears to Abraham. God has made his choice. Abraham would later endorse the vision that Hagar had about her and her son. And he called her, called the son rather, Ishmael, which God had told him to do. So, happily ever after? No, no, no. Later when Isaac is born and weaned, Sarah insists that Hagar be sent away. Abraham provides a little for her and sends him away. Ishmael is grown. He's about 14. Little Isaac is three. And Ishmael is teasing the little brother. That's what brothers do. Toughens them up. I didn't have brothers. I had three older sisters. I, don't even talk to me about persecution. Well, Sarah didn't like Ishmael being the elder brother and teasing and playing with Isaac as brothers do. But Abraham had bonded with Hagar and Ishmael by now. And only when God told him, no, listen to Sarah, send them out. See, God didn't want him to stay in that situation. He loved Hagar and Ishmael too much to leave them under the control of Sarah. Think of this. And he knows Abraham's not going to fix it. So in chapter 21, Genesis 21, 20 and 21, the angel of the Lord went with Hagar and Ishmael. God was with the boy. And he made sure that he got a wife and a life in Egypt. Isn't it terrible that we cannot think of Jacob and Laban and Sarah and Abraham without cringing? Wouldn't it be great if we could think of them as heroes, unspotted, 
unblemished, wonderful folk. Well, we can't because they're just like us. As I told the man yesterday who talked about how peaceful and kind I am, I said, brother, I've killed four people today just inside. I'm, no, I'm not free of sin. I'm riddled with it. Deep fault lines of it. And I'm not proud of that. And I'm not happy with it. And I'm not content. I want to be better. But I am aware that I will never get to a place where I could be saved by anything less than the death of Jesus. That's how bad we all are. These stories are our stories. There's a a big deal has been, uh, it's, it's an American thing, but you get it from Breton because they like to run all of those genealogies so that they could figure out who's going to be king or whatever. Um, I can remember Americans would come across when we were living in Scotland and some of them would even ask me, do you have any royal blood in you? And I would just have a standard thing that I would say that if 14,823 of the right people died right now, I'd be king. And I was, even that was a lie. I have zero. No, uh, at all. Uh, but I do know I'm a child of a king and that he loved me enough to die for me and hold anything back. We should remember that God sees us, but we should also take a second to see the people we're not looking at. Those that are unlovely, the unseen, the unimportant. Because if you want to know where God is, it's probably where he is. And if you want to be where God is, it might be a nice to dance with the people God would dance with. May God bless us as we go through the stories and maybe as we learn a thing or two. Let's see, I'm looking to see what we're doing next. We're doing a song next and then a closing prayer. All right. I'm going to turn this off, Dave. Every chance I get, I like to sing a song with Patrick and listen to his great voice on the lead and his beautiful guitar. And this is a song I know that's very dear to Patrick's heart for many reasons, and he's told the story about the history of this song many times. Um, so, sure. Okay. I left my capo behind, so I'm going to use his. We try this to be informal, but I'm not so informal that I'm just going to say, wait a minute.